From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech the king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called to Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Well, it's deja vu all over again, as the late Yogi Berra once said. That's the baseball player, not the cartoon bear. What am I talking about? Well, this passage is almost identical to a passage that we looked at from this book of Genesis that we're going through uh, a couple of months ago. And in fact, I preached the same, uh, I preached that message. So I said to the team this week, well, look, I saw some people weren't paying proper attention to that message. Should we just play that video again? 
unfortunately, they didn't go for that idea. So here I am with a brand new sermon uh, for this story. So, but what is going on here? We have Abraham, who we're tracking with through this reboot series, doing something he has done before. He has this deceptive uh, behavior where he puts his wife in danger and um, causes a, a difficult situation to, to arise. It's not good. And I talked about that when we looked at the very similar story in Genesis 12, that it's not good. He said this, verse 13, it said there, I said to my wife, Sarah, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. So actually what we're seeing here is the same thing happening again. But from what Abraham says here, they did this all the time. Every place they went to, they played this little trick, hoping that it would keep them safe. The two times that the Bible describes it, it's just really actually the two times they got caught. They got caught in this lie. What's going on here? Well, when we stop and think about it, I wonder whether our lives are not that dissimilar from this. Are there things in your life that happen again? Maybe behavior that you have repeated, maybe wrong behavior, things that you've done and then you've done it again, mistakes that you repeatedly make. The Bible is actually full of stories of people like you and me who get things wrong and then they get things wrong again. But it's also, this Bible, a story of how God deals graciously with people like that. When we make a mess, And then even we make a mess again and how God responds to people like that. And what we see in this passage is real grace shown by God. In this passage in Genesis chapter 20, we are just before the big crescendo of Abraham's life comes to bear. In 21 that we'll look at next week, this long promised son, Isaac, is born. And so we have sort of dramatic tension here, just at the point that God's promise over Abraham and Sarah's life, that they would have a child, the child would be a child of promise, become a great nation. All those things are wrapped up in having a child. And at that moment, Abraham looks like he's going to mess things up by putting his wife in danger. But God puts things back together, protects Abraham, protects Sarah, and protects uh, Isaac, who is yet to be born. The interesting thing is when we ask the question, why? Why, why Why does Abraham do this? Well, in contrast to when we see a very similar story in chapter 12, in this, this time around, Abraham actually tells us a little bit more about his thought process. And he says something very interesting. In verse 11 there, he says this, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. Now, this idea of the fear of God, it's something that comes up again and again in the Bible. But it can be a bit confusing because if you know your Bible, you might know that one of the most repeated phrases in the Bible, the most repeated commandment, it seems, is do not be afraid. God keeps saying that to people. Oh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But then you get this concept of the fear of God. And it seems that that is something that's good, something that we should have. So what, what's going on there? Does God want us to be fearful or not? Well, the fear of God is a rich concept, not one that I have time in this message to unpack fully. But one thing I do want to say is that I don't believe God wants our lives to be shaped by fear, but he does want our lives to be shaped 
by him. To have lives that are characterized by honoring God, being obedient to God, worshiping God, being conscious of him and living in response to that truth. And what I also want to say is that living without the fear of God is destructive. Destructive for a society that sets itself up like that and also destructive on a personal level as well. Now we in this country, in, this, in a city like ours, we live in a time and a place where there isn't a fear of God. We've, as a society, lost a sense of fear of God or consciousness of God. And we need to be aware that when that's happening around us, that we're prone to that as well. Even the church, even Christians are prone to losing the sense of a fear of God, respect for God and who he is and what his word says to us. And even follow the way of our society around us that thinks that, you know, God, that's the fear of God. We shouldn't be scared of God. We don't want that because it's, it's, it's bad news and see it in a negative light. The Bible says a very different thing. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says this, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Tells a very different story to us. And the society that we live in today doesn't believe that. See, sees something like the fear of God as entirely negative. It suggests that actually having a sense of God who is an authority, that's something that we need to be free of. A society today would say that we don't need God to be good. An idea of a God that we fear, that's left for you know, decades, generations, centuries ago. We don't need that today. Well, in this passage, Abraham, he is scared for his life coming into a society that doesn't fear God. How would our city, how would our society respond to that? Surely people would say, wow, we're not, we're not that bad. We're a civilized society. We don't need God to be good. We live in a, what could be described as a post-Christian era. In some ways, the time that we live in, in the, this country, in this city, is, is like a living experiment of what happens when a society loses its fear of God, loses its consciousness of God, loses its respect for God and a biblical worldview and, and the things that God would say is right and true and how to live and we're watching what happens to a society when it rejects that over generations and generations. And we lose so much. But the idea, the idea that we come across implicit in so much of what happens today is that as we diminish God, get rid of God, get rid of a God that is, you know, we should fear. Because he just oppresses us. We want to diminish God in order to elevate ourselves. We want to be free. We want to be happy. We want to flourish and the idea is we push God down to raise ourselves up. But the reason why Abraham is fearful of a society that doesn't fear God is that he knows the opposite happens. Any society, any people group that has no fear of God, as God is diminished, people also are diminished. We diminish one another. A society loses its way. 
You can talk about many examples of this in the society that we live in today. Take maybe God's instruction when it comes to marriage, relationships, how to live in that realm. There was a time where the biblical idea of marriage being one man and one woman, that basis of family life, the context for children to be raised and and, uh, the fabric of society being built by marriage There's a time, maybe middle of the last century, that that was an idea that was respected. And over time, that has become ignored, maybe laughed at, despised, till the point that we're at today, that that is even seen by many as dangerous to sort of teach that and say that is the way to live. That's where we have got to as a society. But the question is, in this sort of secular liberation, are we better off? Have we really elevated ourselves? I don't see that. What I see is when we reject God's instruction about how to live in this area, what we do is we diminish one another. Casual relationships where we try one another on. And if someone doesn't fit us, I'll I'll move on to someone else. We're not elevating each other. We're diminishing each other. We're having less value for one another. We objectify one another through computer screens. That's what happens when we reject God's instruction about how to live in this area. And this self-centered worldview that we adopt when we reject a God that says what is right and what is wrong. The self-centeredness that comes from that is destructive for other people as well. And we have millions of children being raised in homes where there isn't a mother and a father. And bearing the cost of that, that's not good. It's not good for a society. And we're seeing that all around us. You know, go back to, since about the 1940s perhaps. Since then, the influence of Christianity on our society has diminished. Since then, the prison population has gone up. You can look at the stats of that. Churches have emptied and the prisons have filled up. And how much is that to do with the brokenness in family life? A society losing its way. We actually bear a great cost when we reject God's way of how we should live. You might say, well, there's okay, there's social cost there, but is Abraham right to be fearful of his life in a society that doesn't fear God? Well, I'm not sure that's that over the top. Are we really so different? Because when, as our society, a secular society around us does, when we reject God and that God is the center of the universe, that God is on the throne and he's in control, when we reject that God and don't want him, don't want him in our lives, want to live as we see fit, well, when we reject God, we're left with, well, who, who are we? Well, we're just our biology then. If there's no creator God, we are just the cells, a bag of cells, and we're just our biology. And we think, well, what's wrong with that? That leads to a horrendous place. No, no, we might diminish one another on a functional level in relationships, but we actually diminish human life itself. That's what happens in our society as we reject God. You know, in this country, every year, around 200,000 abortions take place each year. Since late 1960, when abortion was legalized, There has been 9 million abortions in this country. Don't tell me that the lack of fear of God is not dangerous. That we might even lose sense of the image of God in people. 
and just throw human life away. No, no, it's, it is destructive. And we bear the cost all around us. No wonder Abraham is scared of a society that doesn't fear God, loses its sense of who God is and how we should live in response to him. Well, it's easy for me to point the finger at society around us and say, well, the problem is out there. You know, they don't fear God. But what actually we see in this passage is Abraham himself doesn't actually demonstrate a a fear of God. He's not actually obedient to God. As we've seen, he's, he's deceptive. He puts his wife in danger. He's sinful. And so it's easy to point the finger and criticize others and say the problem is out there. But when it comes to the fear of God, when it comes to obeying God, doing what God says, living according to his wisdom rather than according to our own ideas, well, actually, we're all, we're all guilty of that. It's not just out there. It's in here. It's in the church and it's in our lives as well. When we lose the fear of God, we, we live as we see fit. And friends, you and I are prone to this. Think about this last week. What corners have we cut? What moral standards have we failed to meet? How have we been deceptive perhaps, lied to others. How have we, how have you, how have I treated others functionally, not really served them and loved them, treated them and respected them, made in the image of God? All of us are guilty of these things, even this last week. And maybe I've raised that topic of abortion. Maybe you've had an abortion That's wrong, but it's also wrong to lust and to hate someone and to be jealous. And so when it comes to being obedient to God, to fearing God, we are all guilty, just like Abraham is here. And the truth is we sin because we we don't fear God. We don't honor him. We live according to our wisdom, following our desires. What do we do with that? Where do we go with that? If that's what last week has been like, what are we going into this week? Are we going to try harder? Are we going to do a bit better? Well, you and I know that to be obedient to God, to follow God, to follow his standard, follow who he is and what he is like and honor him in all that we do and love the Lord our God with all our heart like Jesus tells us to we don't just need more, we don't need more attempts to do that because we're, we're not, we're not going to get there. We're not going to get there. You know, I wonder if you've been watching the Olympics this week and it's heartbreaking, isn't it? When you see people that have trained for like five years, tried so hard and just one mistake in an event on the day and they just lose, they're just out. They just don't get anywhere close. When it comes to following God, only gold standard obedience is right because he is the true authority. He is the righteous one. He is the perfect one. And all of us sin, fall short, do wrong. Don't honor God with our lives. We live as we see fit so often. More chances are not gonna get us there. Where do we turn to? We turn to Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Because he is the one that is obedient. 
He is the one that lived his entire life without sin, entirely honoring the Father. That's what it says in John 6, 38. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, not to live as I see fit, but the will of him who sent me. He is the obedient one. In this story from Genesis chapter 20, we see actually a sort of a picture of obedience in an, in an unusual place. Because it actually comes to us through the character of Abimelech, who's this foreign king. He's the one that we're not expecting to do right, not expecting to obey God. Surely Abraham's a hero. But what happens? God speaks to Abimelech in a dream. The word of God comes to him and Abimelech obeys. He says he rises early in the morning to set things right. When he realizes what's happened and he realizes what God requires of him, he does it straight away. When I read this passage this week, thinking about him, and he said, he is an innocent one. That's what he says of himself. He's an innocent one, but there's a death sentence over him. So what God says to him, you're a dead man. Who does that remind you of? The innocent one who's condemned to death. Well, it points us towards Jesus. He was the only person who walked through life in this world and was obedient to the Father in every respect. And yet the crowd shouted, you're a dead man. The crowd shouted, crucify him. And he was. Philippians chapter two speaks of Jesus saying that he was obedient to death, even the death of a cross. Why, Why did he do that? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he live a life of perfect obedience, but yet die a death on a cross? Well, when I read verse 11 from this passage today, I wonder if we can apply these to the mouth of Jesus. Verse 11 says, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God with his people. God knows what we're like. Jesus knows what we're like. Jesus knows we don't fear God as we should. We don't obey him. We don't honor him. We don't live for him as we should. And that's why he came. That's why he came for us. To show mercy, to show forgiveness, and to show love. That's what the cross is about. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's what the gospel is about. Jesus brings us to God by taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. I believe, friends, God does not want us to be scared of him because he is the God of judgment, though he is I believe he wants us to see his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect and righteous one, see his death on the cross for us and be in awe that Jesus, the son of God, would die for you. Friends, that's awesome. When we talk about the fear of God, which, <laughs> that makes me fear, fear God. Wow, that the son of God would die for me. It makes me want to obey him. It makes me want to follow him. He's changed my heart with this demonstration of love on the cross for me. 
And friends, this is true fear of God, to have our hearts and our minds full of awesome wonder and the scandal of the cross. Friends, I want to give us some application as we come into line with this message today. We need to receive this Jesus. We need to receive this gift of love and forgiveness. Receive his obedience, perfect obedience on our behalf. But then to be changed to follow him and walk in obedience with him. We can walk out the fear of God knowing the love of God in our hearts. And one key test perhaps of whether we fear God is to ask the question, are we living under the authority of his word? And perhaps in the middle of the summer, that's a good challenge for us and a good um, next step for us to think about. Friends, it is life-giving to be shaped by the truth of God revealed in his word to us. Abimelech demonstrates what it looks like to, to hear God's word. I'm going to do what God says. And what we see in that, what do we see when Abimelech does that? Reconciliation, restoration, and blessing. That's what Proverbs said, riches and life. Jesus has the words of life. The question is, are Jesus' words in your life? Are you listening to him? Are you following him? Are you in the word? Maybe even just start by reading the Bible, following our plan here at Emmanuel. Put it into practice. There is life for you there as well. But before we get to that, we come to this Jesus. As I've said, all of us are prone to lose sight of the fear of God. All of us are prone to go our own way, to live as we see fit. And maybe this is a moment just to come back to Jesus, just to recognize the way that you have gone according to your own wisdom and say, I've not feared you, God. I've not followed you. I've not been obedient to, to you. And come back to him. Receive his forgiveness afresh. Receive his blessing and walk with him on the path of life. Riches and honor and life are ours in Christ. Let's enjoy them. Let's enjoy the fear of God, let's enjoy and rejoice in Jesus. Stephen is going to lead us in the next part of this.